Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. Now, if you're outside of the US, you mightn't have heard of AEG before, but take it from me, they are a gigantic company, and we get into that in this podcast with George Pappas and talk a lot about what they own, why they own it, and how they really get inherently involved with the assets that they do much more than just sell sponsorship for. The phrasing for a lot of my questions is, why esports? If you guys are so big, you guys are so successful in traditional sports and in uh, music and festivals, etc., etc., why get involved in this new industry? And is it a great line of revenue for you? We have a great conversation. George shares a lot of information about his company and how they're really in it for the long haul. And also, we really touch on why franchise leagues, which is something that they're heavily invested in, and also why single-team gaming organizations is the way for them to go forward in the future. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. We're live. We're live. And just as we went live, I lost you for a second, but we've got you back, George. How are you, mate? I'm doing awesome, Chris. Real nice to be here. Thanks for having me. That's no worries at all. We were bonding a bit over um, some mutual LA experience before we went live. I was talking about being an Australian man, there, there's so many, like the culture is very different in Australia. Usually you might have a bad whole part of town or a bad city, but you don't have bad streets. And that's one thing that really got me unstuck when I went to LA and I dropped off my, um, dropped off my hire car and I thought, hey, I'm just going to stay in Inglewood because it's quite close to the airport. And I'm sure there's some nice people in Inglewood. But, you know, as a man who's never been to the US before, was in another country, I got a bit of a shock when I went to check in and there was bulletproof glass at the reception and all of the windows had glass on. It's, uh, it's like one large bank that you went to stay at. Um, it's unfortunate that was the, for the first uh, entree into uh, your visit here with Los Angeles. There are some beautiful coastline. Uh, I live in Hermosa Beach, which is close to LAX. So the next time you come through town, we have uh, a couple extra bedrooms. Let me know and you can stay with us, okay? That sounds that sounds good. And I yeah, I ended up going down to San Diego and honestly that was my favorite. It's it's so much like Australia down there. It's coastal, nice weather, it's mountainous. You know, you can see straight into Mexico as well. It's awesome. It's it's really nice. Yeah, uh, San Diego's my hometown. I grew up in a spot called Solana Beach, which is uh Yeah, okay. Right around Del Mar, La Jolla, if you've ever heard of those, uh, yeah, those, yeah, those towns. But uh, yeah, I've never been to Australia myself, but uh, I've heard that it's very similar to the uh, the terrain of uh, San Diego. Nice place to be from. Yeah, for sure. So, mate, let's kick it off as we always yeah. do. Let us know a little bit about yourself before we, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's exciting to meet you and uh, and your viewers. Uh, my name is George Pappas. For those who uh, are, are joining us today, I'm uh, one of the vice presidents of uh, a group here at Anschutz Entertainment Group, AEG is the acronym, uh, within a group called Global Partnerships. So Global Partnerships really is the, the sales and active agent agent for all the properties under our entertainment portfolio. Um, AEG, uh, we own and operate uh, 
uh, a global portfolio of venues. So, for example, we own Staples Center here at on the LA Live campus. We own T-Mobile Arena alongside MGM in Las Vegas. We manage Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. We own the O2 Arena in London. We, um, you know, we own the uh, we own. Um, venues and we operate venues all across the globe so whether we're building something in nashville right now or something in puerto rico uh, our management team operates and programs those venues from a content uh content standpoint you move into another bucket of ours we have a sports portfolio so we own a third of the lakers we are one of the founding partners of major league soccer so uh, at one point we owned six of the ten teams when the league started up in 95 96 um you know cycling tours food and wine events we've got a a significant amount of uh live programming and content that we activate here in los angeles you move into our music ecosystem a lot of people know us for the festivals that we own and operate so some of the bigger names uh we own coachella we own stagecoach uh new orleans jazz fest we're the producers behind that and there's another 20 30 properties uh in that portfolio you go into our uh, our digital division we have a ticketing platform called access.com and then we have a, a broadcast studio uh tv network called uh, access tv so We've got all these different uh, buckets of assets, and then Global Partnerships, my division, sits on top of all those buckets, and we work with brand partners and brands to you know, really identify the targets and create sponsorship and marketing opportunities uh, across that portfolio. So my background, just uh, give it one second here. You know, I started working uh, for an ad agency in San Francisco, uh, ran a piece of business for Sprint and 24-Hour Fitness. Uh, during that time, I, when I got attracted to really sports marketing, because we were doing all these these sports deals with uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Magic Johnson and Lance Armstrong and all these high profile athletes, they were uh, basically given uh, gym gyms and memberships in exchange for the likes and rights, uh, likeness and rights. And uh, we were out marketing these clubs on behalf of those uh, those uh, those athletes. And it really said, hey, you know what? There's a business behind sports here. I really want to get into it. So got my master's in sport management. I uh, went to um, to a group called Six Flags, and we bought a production company called Dick Clark, which was run by Dan Snyder, who owns the Washington Redskins out of D.C. Uh, that business was, uh, one went bankrupt, one was sold, and then I moved over to Viacom. I ran a sports property for them called Bellator, which is in the mixed martial arts field, uh, very no, similar no. to or some of the USC. Yeah. And then um, that business changed hands as well. And then I joined AEG five years ago, uh, really running sales and sponsorship for the LA Galaxy. And at the time, the venue that they part they played in was called StubHub Center. The naming rights of that uh, venue has since changed. It's now called Dignity Health Sports Park. But as I'm mentioning these names, Staples Center, StubHub Center, Dignity Health Sports Park, our group, Global Partnerships, are the ones responsible for selling those brands, those types of naming rights opportunities. But that's not all we do, because naming rights is one piece of inventory amongst the entire uh, ecosystem of the portfolio that we will be owned and represent. And how do you work with brands to really get into the weeds and create that fan engagement that uh, that brands are looking for nowadays? Because a sign of a building is one thing, and it becomes part of the vernacular when you're talking about Staples Center. I know there was a very unfortunate incident that happened a week ago with uh, Mr. Kobe Bryant, and Staples Center was uh, uh, one of the now, was his home venue, and he really built the uh, venue over 20 years that it was that he was with our team. Um, you know, so the name you know has a positive association with it. But at the same time, you know, there's there's other things that take place within our uh, within our portfolio. Mm. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, kind of picking apart what one of the major things I got from what you were saying that's very different to, say, the traditional esports market is you have ownership in most of the things that you're selling at the same time. You know, it's super common in this industry to have sponsorship agents or agencies, and often they're just PR agencies that are kind of moonlighting as that at the same time who will sell sponsorship on behalf of commission. For teams or events or leagues but it seems to be the opposite way with you guys where you do like you were saying have a 30 percent stake in a team here you have complete ownership of a, of a stadium there is that something that you see more often in, in the traditional market and you think that's something that's going to come across to our market well there's a couple things that that are at play we have a, a we're a private ownership company uh, the gentleman owns our company is mr philip anschutz um, he is a very uh, patient man very under the radar individual he's not uh, one who you'll see and read much press about um, you know he has a, a a long a long-term focus with whatever we get involved with so when we decided to enter you know into the sports entertainment business, his first acquisition was the LA Kings, the hockey team of the NHL. They were bankrupt for the second time. Uh, we purchased that team. They were playing at the forum over in Inglewood, where you were staying. And uh, the Inglewood, uh, the forum was a bit of a tired venue. Uh, being that he is a real estate uh, speculator, he got turned on to the fact that there was a significant parcel of land for sale in downtown Los Angeles, which is where we ultimately built Staples Center, LA Live, uh, the two hotels that we operate, 20 restaurants, uh, Xbox Plaza, Microsoft Theater, etc. So the impetus was, you know, we want to own the physical real estate and then have a share in the content that comes through there. So, you know, mm. at the end of the day, we have 315 properties under our ownership or our guidance from a management and operation standpoint. So real estate really is our core business. The content is almost the secondary aspect of, of what we do. So we want to come into a market. We want to control the physical real estate. We want to control the ability though, to program, program these assets. The ability with scale, though, gives us a lot of leverage. So if we have, you know, a hundred stadiums, a hundred arenas, and our music division is looking to book an act, let's say Taylor Swift or Katy Perry, you know, we can go out and create a global tour for them. You know, not relatively easily, but with, uh, you know, with one, uh, with one brush, we can cover off all the major global markets, right? So those are things that our, our artists and our talent and our bookers look for is, you know, what is the depth and breadth of the, of the portfolio that we have? We continue like, to add to that portfolio, so we identify markets you know, years in advance that we know are going to be burgeoning in the future, and we have patient money. Mr. Anschutz can you know, sit on a piece of land, and he can wait until the city or the economy is ready for us to move into the marketplace. So that can mm -hmm. be seen with what we did in Berlin. That can be seen with what we did in London with the O2. Uh, same thing happened here in Los Angeles. But to your point about teams and ownership, you know, we got involved with hockey. You know, we moved the team into Staples Center. Staples Center opened October 17th, 99 with uh, Bruce Springsteen. And then we went right into hockey season and then right into Lakers season. Uh, the Clippers slowly followed. Um, but at the same time, when that was all going on, Major League Soccer was starting up. And, you know, Mr. Anschutz was approached to invest in a team. And he did alongside 10 other owners. Uh, one was Lamar Hunt with the Kansas City Chiefs. One was Mr. Robert Kraft with the Patriots. And uh, at the negotiating table, you know, seven of the 10 owners decided to pull out. And Mr. Anschutz decided to fund the league with, you know, owning six of the six of the 10 teams. During that process, you know, it's kind of funny when, you know, we just had the Super Bowl. The trophy that's uh, awarded is the Lombardi Trophy after the famous coach. In the MLS, when you win the MLS Cup, it's the Philip F. Anschutz Trophy. So it's really named after Mr. Anschutz because he was the long-offer equity position in five of those six teams. We maintain 100% share of the Galaxy. 
But what happened with us is because we got involved at that level, the league really listened to us and decided to say, hey, you know what? We trust AEG. You know, So when we decided to have a designated player, we brought David Beckham in. It was good for the league. When we brought Robbie Keenan from, from, uh, from Ireland. It was good for the league. When we brought Steven Gerrard in, it was good for the league. So we've been able to really, you know, aside from winning five championships, we've been able to elevate the league status and stature based on the quality of players and the names that we've been able to bring in. So to that point, you know, we want to have ownership, um, you know, where it makes sense. We are a, a risk-adverse company. Even though we're as big as we are and as global as we are, we're very patient. We just don't jump into things. So the impetus of what we saw with the MLS was very um, – it, it aligned from a parallel standpoint to what we see with esports. Right. So we hit a trend back in 95 franchise values back then were twenty five, thirty million dollars. Right. It was still a, a big chunk of money. Franchise values today for MLS are a quarter of a billion dollars. So people thought we were idiots back in ninety five. Now they think we're heroes because we've done extremely well betting on that. We yeah. identify that same trend with esports. So no different than, you know, we've hosted League of Legends championships at Staples Center or Mercedes-Benz Arena in Berlin or a Core Hotels Arena in Paris to, you know, the International with Dota in Seattle or or um or Shanghai. You know, we were noticing these trends of these people coming into our venues. There are we've held, you know, five major championships from League to Dota to um counter-strike overwatch league and with that and seeing all those audiences you know we were working with esl to book these you know to use our venues as as the platform to host them identified an audience early on that we weren't really capitalizing on and it was very reminiscent of how we got involved with the mls and it's kind of how we look at the trend with music right there's there's a younger demographic a millennial demographic what are the trends that are out there in the marketplace so we said we need to buy into this. So as we looked at the cap tables that were out there in the different teams and leagues, you know, we identified Immortals. Uh, now it's called Immortals Gaming Club, but we identified Immortals as a place that we wanted to to invest in, probably because the cap table was very similar in their vision and their thinking like we are. So it was patient money, long-term money. It wasn't just private equity, let's get in, let's make a return, let's get out. It was let's get in, let's grow this business. If there's an uptick and the cycle is good, we can ride it. If there's a downturn and the cycle is bad, we can still ride it because we're not looking to just cash out tomorrow. So when you have you know investors alongside you like the Milken family or Steve Kaplan or Meg Whitman or Lionsgate, you know those are some pretty best in breed individuals who have you know they have a lot of credibility we want to join those types of ranks so for us to enter in was a rather um, a rather seamless acquisition we also knew what is what can we bring to the table so no different than the milken family and the milken institute you know they're involved in the global finance business lionsgate is pros in content creation distribution development you know what is aeg's expertise water well, ex- expertise is in venues it's in real estate it's in it's in events, it's in programming, it's in production, and it's in sponsorship. So we had core capabilities that we could bring directly to Immortals game to, to Immortals and really enhance their business and complement what our other capital partners were doing. We weren't stepping on people's toes or you know. So that being said, Immortals came to us and said, "Listen, you know, we're going to be getting involved in Overwatch League, which is you know one of our first uh, you know our first uh, entries into esports. You know, uh, two years ago, everybody was playing uh, at uh, Blizzard Arena here in Burbank, uh, California, all their home and away games, regardless of uh, of what uh, what city you were from, and uh, knowing that." 
that there were going to be homestand series, you know, we were going to create an opportunity at LA Live here within the Staples Center District to be able to have our homestands. So to that point, you know, we can leverage our facilities for these types of uh, these competitions. So we have a, uh, a club on site. It's a 2,500 seat club called the Novo by Microsoft. So last uh, August, August 24th and 25th, I know the date because my son was born August 24th. So I wasn't there at our, at our first, uh, at our first uh, rival weekend match, but um, you know, we hosted a rival weekend with 10 teams um, here at LA live. Um, we AEG were instrumental in going out to the marketplace and finding a sponsor to entitle that entitle that uh, that opportunity. So KitKat, which is a candy bar part of Hershey Corporation, you know, decided to come in. They wanted to reach that uh, that gamer, that snacker. They had a new brand called Duos that they were wanting to promote, which was a a mint chocolate uh, a mint chocolate cookie type of a uh, of a of a snack and a candy bar. And uh, you know, this was a place for them to do sampling, to get brand exposure, to create integrations with in the Twitch stream, uh, branding, et cetera, like that. So, you know, they were the, the marquee partner for, for the event. So, you know, you look at a brand, it's non-endemic. It's not a peripheral. It's not a keyboard. It's not, uh, you know, anything else pertaining to the actual e-sport. But, you know, a traditional brand, big brand, looking at ways to find their audience and extend extend beyond what they typically do with broadcast or print or other types of uh, types of media. We have to create, you know, special content with our players. Uh, they had a dunk tank on site. It was all about rivalry. So if, you know, LA beat San Francisco, so one of the players from the shock got in the dunk tank and you were able to, a fan was able to dunk them in water and do fun types of integrations across the, uh, the across the event weekend. So, and what that does basically is give, you know, it gives KitKat the ability to say, okay, let me try something new. I haven't been a part of this. You know, I have a budget set aside specifically to test esports, And then from there we can gather some learnings and now we can plot what the future looks like. And the way we look at things too is, you know, we're a, a portfolio company, right? It's not just one brand and we don't have one name. We don't have immortals that oversees all of our, all of our, all of our teams, right? So we play in Overwatch League with our LA Valiant. We play in League of Legends, you know, with our Immortals team. We play in uh, Call of Duty with our Optic Gaming team, and we're going to play in Counter Strike with our with MIBR. So, and a lot of this has grown through, you know, acquisition. Uh, it was what about six months a year ago where we did the largest share control change with uh, Optic. They were based out of Texas. You know, we did an acquisition with them. They had the Houston Outlaws of the uh, Overwatch League. We had to sell that uh, that group off. And, uh, you know, but in doing so, we re-entered League because we were out of League for a couple of years. And then we re-entered uh, or we entered Call of Duty. And as you know, these are now franchise leagues that we're a part of. So very emblematic of how Activision Blizzard set up Overwatch League. Same thing's going on with Riot and the same thing's going on with uh, with um, with Call of Duty here. So we're, we're pleased to get in, into those businesses. And then it was announced yesterday, I don't know if you saw the news, but we got involved with um, Immortals Gaming Club and Cloud9 decided to create a, uh, another league for um, for Counter Strike. So, and I I don't remember the name is called Flashpoint. So it's going to be at the moment six teams expanding to ten, and then there's going to be a, a play in or if you will an open qualifier for two more um, that aren't going to have to pay a franchise fees to get in. But uh, you know the league's going to start up kind of mid mid March. It's going to run for four weeks, and then we're going to leverage an AEG an AEG venue for the finals 
in uh, in Stockholm. So the Ericsson Globe in Stockholm will have nine days of uh, of playoffs and the finals, etc. So again, how do we get involved? AEG is involved from the standpoint we're an investor in the team, we're a sponsor, we're able, we have a sales arm that's able to go and bring in sponsors to help drive revenue, and then we're able to go and program our venues for content and then drive audiences who are going to buy merch and popcorn and sodas, parking, all those types of things. So we have an engine that we need to feed. That's probably a reason why we really want to have some sort of ownership stake in the content that we do bring into the uh, into the venues. Kind of a a long answer to a short question. <laughs> yeah, I know it, it makes sense and it, and it best describes for, you know, the people watching on Twitch or LinkedIn or listening to the podcast later exactly how full service, you know, what you're offering is. And it's different. It's very different to what the traditional esports industry is used to. Like I was explaining, you know, they're not used to having that large corporation that can A, trust that this audience is something worth doing, B, put their money behind it, as like you were saying with capital acquisition, but C, have the the patience and the ability to have that patience to sit on that asset for a long time and rise through the, you know, the peaks and the troughs. And I mean, one special distress asset you talked about was Optic, for example. You know, that was a team that went through a big peak and then a massive trough. And then you guys, you know, were able to pick it up in that downturn. Similar to say the MLS that you were saying, which is the same in Australia here with the with the NBL National Basketball League with Larry Kesselman, you know, who purchased it as a private owner and owned a majority of the teams and has certainly been selling those teams off as the league grows and, you know, as as his kind of share in the in the market grows as far as that goes too. Part of part of my question then is how how did you originally identify esports as the audience? There's always those buzzwords, you know, 18 to 24 year old millennial males. They like to spend a lot of money on things. They're not reaching out, but still, you don't see many of those brands or companies really reaching out to those people unless it's through music and and TikTok and you know other public means. So, how did you identify esports, and what does esports compare? or compete with for your attention. So another, I'll ask a double question. Another one is we had a strategic investor come to us, want us to run some live events for them. And they were saying, look, us investing in your company isn't you versus another esports property. It's versus us investing in a mining company. It's versus us investing in a website, in an agency, in something else too. So I'm interested in learning those two things. Number one, how did you start that discovery service for really wanting to getting, getting into gaming and esports? And number two, what's the main competition for your time? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I think the impetus for us really getting into the esports market was our just entire platform. We survey trends all the time, right? We're looking out at, you know, five years ahead of us, 10 years ahead of us. What is happening in the marketplace? Where are our markets evolving? What are, what are people interested in? What are people doing? And it really was the fact that we had ESL as a partner back in 2011, 2012 that was, you know, linked up with us selling out these venues in a heartbeat. I mean, literally, they would turn the ticket engine on and boom, 20,000 tickets would go overnight. The audience share was crazy and the fandom and the fanatics that would show up at these at these arenas. You know, that was reason enough to say, this is real, this is credible, we don't have this. We have fans that go bananas at Lakers games. We have fans that go bananas at Galaxy games. We have fans that go bananas at Coachella. No, we know fandom. And this was one spot for us that really wasn't being touched. So, and then again, as we looked at the cap table, right, when you have brands like Alliancegate or the Milken family that are invested, there's credibility there. There's a track record there. There's people who, you know, are betting on success who have a track record of success. We have the same thing. And because we're able to bring complementary assets to something, not that there's never a, we can't fail, but there is that, that patient ability for us to come in 
write the ship, figure out how this is going to best work, figure out how we're going to best monetize this. At the same time, you know, Noah Winston was the CEO of, of Immortals when it started, the founder of it. You know, really bright, sharp young man. We saw him as a leader and a visionary and somebody who had really, you know, he kind of perfected this model in a sense where he was identifying talent through his, uh, you know, through his, not gambling, but his uh, fantasy sports, if you will. And he knew how to pick talent. And through that was, you know, that's a big thing. Look how you staff a roster, whether it's a basketball team, a hockey team team you know whatever it may be can you identify talent so we were able to identify or excuse me lionsgate identified him as talent milken identified him as talent then aeg said you know what we identify that talent as well that's how our business is built you know and there's a shortage of talent just in the world and that is a very limiting resource and if you can find the right people to help you power an organization you're going to be highly successful so that being said you know not only do we make a bet on an industry we made a bet on a person and then through that process, you know, we got to, you know, we assembled our board. We are looking strategically as to how are we going to take this to the next level. And there was a young executive who identified who came in as our chief operating officer, Ari Siegel, who has now since promoted to uh, to CEO of Immortals Gaming Club. And, you know, he comes from, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, B school background, a law degree with, with Stanford, uh, worked at McKinsey, private equity, you know, consulting. Also was our a sports executive uh, with us having run a team down in San Diego, uh, the San Diego Goals. He was a president of San Diego Goals. He was the COO of the Arizona Coyotes out in uh, out in Phoenix. So mm. we manage AEG manages Pachanga Arena where the Goals play, and AEG also manages Gila River Arena in in uh, Phoenix where. Um, the the coyotes play so we had a familiarity with ari we loved his style we loved his ability we loved his can-do attitude and his results right big thing with us and our entire organization aeg is about two things representation and results how do you represent yourself how do you represent your business unit how do you represent the brands and the properties that you're responsible for and are you delivering results and results are not always economic right? It's, is, you know, is, is passion up, is fandom up, or, you know, or, yeah, we're going to look at the economics just because that's what a business, you know, needs to make profit at the end of the day. But we were working with a gentleman who we identified as being a leader, being best in class in his, in his industry. So when we brought Ari in to be the CEO, it was just a natural extension when Noah was ready to move on to his, his next chapter that we were going to elevate Ari. It really was Ari who was the impetus for identifying trends in the marketplace. So back to your original question, why esports, how esports, it's like we bought, we bet on somebody who we believed in. We bet on somebody behind him who we knew would be, we, we, we were creating a bench, a, a bench of assets. No different than if you or I are playing baseball and our pitcher goes down, we need to have somebody on the bench who can come in and, and replace that, that, uh, that starting pitcher. Same thing with this, right? We had a, you know, an ascension plan to bring somebody in who could, Take the torch and and grow grow our pie from what it originally started off, which was Immortals. You know, yeah, we got out of a game with League. How do we get back into League? Because we know it's important. We know we were one of the top five most most um, followed brands within the the entire industry. So we wanted to get back into that game. You know, how do we do it? Growing organically was probably not the easiest way to do it. So you know, if there is an acquisition and a share of control, you know, Ari brought this to our attention and said, "This is this is a place that we should bet on." And again, we have some bright minds at the table with Meg Whitman, former uh, eBay uh, CEO and HP CEO, right, and Milken and AEG and Lionsgate all coming together, saying, "You know what? 
all right, we can identify and we can spot how this acquisition is going to benefit our company. And with the acquisition, literally overnight, we went from, you know, not a small share of voice, but, you know, to 37 million, uh, 37 million audience viewership standpoint. You know, if you looked at the United States, our our fan base of 70 of 37 million people is only second in population to the state of California which is kind of funny so you know a lot of people came to follow those are engaged audiences you know depending on which team that we're looking at you know there's four and a half times engagement rate when we put out social content so these are all metrics that we looked at to say you know these are places that we why would we want to invest in esports because of the metrics that we were looking at from what is optic bringing to the table how does REC we're going to write this shift and what is our next path forward so like before you got and i got on the call today i talked to our ceo at uh, at immortals gaming club and i said you know give me hit me with the, the headline what's what's brand new for us and what the brand new thing was was flashpoint is the fact that we're getting into you know a counter-strike league that we are creating alongside cloud nine so it's things like that we're doing things that other organizations aren't doing right and also the portfolio approaches we have different games that compete in different in different leagues that have different audiences. We're not just one. If the New York Yankees all participated in, if the New York Yankees participated in baseball, basketball, football, soccer, golf, and it was all called the Yankees, you might get confused. That's why we have different brand names that compete in the different orgs. So it's uh, or the different the different leagues. So we're we're, we're long on this space um, again because we have the venue footprint not only are is immortals gaming club able to succeed you know we're able to go out with esl or other other um promoters and we're able to program other venues and now as these leagues are growing and people are looking for home bases we have those ability it doesn't matter in what market and what country on what continent we're able to find a home for for esports content so does that give you a little bit of um does that, yeah. does that help answer the question yeah, a couple of a couple of interesting things out of that. Number one, like you were mentioning, is having a different organization or different team within each game. That's always been a really interesting one to me. I mean, the basic case study, looking at Australia, an AFL team here called the Essendon Bombers purchased a League of Legends team. But when their main Twitter account starts tweeting about League of Legends, their fans, I think justifiably so, are a bit upset because they don't they don't follow this AFL team for hockey or tennis or swimming or poker, nor do they follow them for League of Legends. And sometimes that confusion can happen. And even if you're looking at a basic metric of Instagram engagement rate, I did a lot of this study um, late last year and single team organisations have just such a better engagement rate because of that same reason. You know, if you're following on models for League of Legends and then they start talking about CSGO, that's not going to be relevant to you whatsoever. And you're likely to fall out of their algorithm and they're going to have dormant followers across all their social media accounts. So it's been an interesting trend for me to watch a few people like this. There are some teams, say like OG, who won the International, who were a single-team game, um, albeit they kind of had a Super Smash Brothers player, but are now expanding into other games, which I'm very interested to see how that affects you know, their marketing and, and particularly their engagement rates, which, as we both know, are quite important. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to me to see that, that single-team focus. And, and to that point, right? So, and it's also a sales ability for us when we speak to brands, right? Because if we're posting content that's red blood oriented and there's a brand that wants to shy away from that and we're populating a feed with that type of type of content or, you know, it, it's all on the same, they're going to, they're going to be, 
deterred from wanting to do a partnership with us. So we can go to them and say, hey, we have a, a green blood game, if you will, with Overwatch, or we have something completely different with uh, with MIBR and Counter-Strike. It gives us a, just a better sales ability or the opportunity exists where we can put a brand across all those different uh, all those different uh, teams and uh, you know and make it a, a seamless ability. So, but that's how we identified that very early on. This is how Noah wanted to set up the uh, set up the organization. We agreed wholeheartedly with the vision. Uh, Ari feels the exact same way. Why, why put up you know uh, content? For a fan of Overwatch League, when you know, when you know, p- put up content for a fan of Overwatch League that's going to reach that audience and they're going to care about and they want to engage with. Don't show them something that they don't care about. So we we see that, and that's just something that's that's a differentiating point for for Immortals. It's a big thing for us. Yeah, one of the other things that you mentioned is that basically every game you're involved with, and now especially with with Flashpoint coming up, is either a traditional or non traditional franchise league. And I really want to get into that discussion with you guys. As a as a large traditional company, does the franchise league offer that sustainability and support that you're looking for? That that safety, like why a franchise league versus say Dota two, which is completely open, anyone can anyone can qualify, anyone can win. You know, that that's a really good question. I'm going to make an assumption or two. Um, yeah. You know, you know, I would say just based on past history, you know, and the the economics and stability of how things work in, uh, you know, with professional sports in the states, you know, you you are part of a of a franchise league, and you know, there's you know, the NFL just capped off the Super Bowl, right? I mean, probably one of the most valuable leagues in all of professional sports are is the NFL. What's launching next uh, weekend is the XFL, right? Jim McMahon and his WWE organization is going to be putting some significant resources about trying to create a uh, you know, I'm going to say minor league because that's not not the right term or respectful term, but more of a semi-pro type of a league. It's going to have different rules. It's going to have it's all owned by one individual, if you will. Yes, there are different markets within it, but he owns he owns the whole thing. So yeah. we'll we'll see how that works. Um, but if you've identified the franchises, you know these these franchises have sustainability. They have the financial resources, and then there's growth ability. And then on the flip, if you will, if you are an ownership group looking to exit, now there's going to be a return, right? So for us going out rogue, independent, um, just getting involved with Dota, I don't think there's a comfort level from our ownership group and our strategy standpoint to to enter that way. I think the franchise leagues really they bring to us stability in a sense where we kind of know what we're getting. We know there's going to be a set schedule. There's going to be set parameters. There's going to be a commissioner. You know, we're able to leverage our venues. We're able to build content. We're able to build audiences. You know, we're able to create a merch program for it, sell sponsorship. And it's, it's a model that we understand. It wasn't a crazy stretch for us to get involved in those types of franchise organizations where I think if it was more of a one-off, more of a, Hey, let's take a flyer on this and see how this works. We probably wouldn't have been as interested in doing it. And then, you know, bringing in Ari and having him identify, you know, an acquisition that was able to get us into other franchise leagues was important. But, you know, if you look at Activision Blizzard, right, I mean, they did a great job with Overwatch. They really set the model. It made a complete ton of sense to us. And if you look at the other groups that are involved with that, right, the Wilpon family that owns the New York Mets, they own the New York Excelsior, right? Uh, I believe... um, 
you know, who else? There's a couple of other marquee team owners. You know, I mean, Neil Liebman, who was part of the, you know, Houston, uh, Houston Astros, I mean, not the Houston Astros, the, uh, the Texas Rangers, you know, his investment group was involved in the Houston Outlaws, right? So you see these major ownership groups that put their money into these esports franchises, kind of knowing that, hey, you know, I'm buying it as something that's familiar. And I think that's why you've seen these big, these big sports entertainment companies getting in, whether it's, you know, um, Harris Blitzler or, or Cronky Sports Entertainment, because they, they have familiarity with it. I think if this didn't exist, you wouldn't see that type of money in, and you would see more of the, the private equity money, more of the, you know, Silicon Valley money, more of the high flying dollars who, you know, are willing to take a quick bet to see how things operate. But for us and a lot of these team ownership groups is, you know what, we're, we're, we can move fast and we can be nimble, but we're not going to be, you know, as fast and nimble as maybe some other industries. So we want to see something that's tried and true, something that makes sense, something that works, something that we have familiarity with and provides a comfort level. So I would say that's probably why these franchise leagues work for us and the reason why we're now going, okay, we've seen how it works. The model's there. We've seen how Overwatch has done it. We've seen how, you know, League of Legends is operating. We've seen how Call of Duty is operating. We know the we know the playbook for lack of a better word. Let's see if we can apply it. Now, listen, Valve's a great partner and what they do with counter-strike but you know certain things that are run that way you know with esl they don't maybe have the time and the dedication the resources doing these maybe smaller localized types of events that create more of this uh this fan engagement so mm-hmm. one of the drop-offs that we saw not in a negative way was you know all the all the home and away games for overwatch league were taking place at blizzard arena and, you know, if you were a fan of the Seoul Dynasty, you know, chances are you're not coming over from Seoul to experience a game at Blizzard Arena. But now that, you know, these teams are having their, their home models, it's really giving people the ability to, to create that fandom, create that passion, and to participate, be more... Esports is very participatory because of the nature of the digital medium, but because now that you're bringing those those home stands out to to major markets, people can go experience them. And it's no different, you know. In a couple of weeks here, we have the Harlem Globetrotters that are going to be making a stop at uh, that Staples Center. They're going to be going to several other markets within our venue portfolio. But again, so this kind of traveling roadshow, if you will, I think is going to do extremely well to build the fandom. And you know, it's funny because one of our investors. Uh, uh, Michael Milken's son, you know, he has, you know, several children and, you know, he said, Hey, I have Lakers tickets. I have galaxy tickets. And, you know, we're also going to go to the overwatch, uh, the Valiant game. That's what his kids want to go see. They want to go to the Valiant game. So it's becoming a generational thing where, you know, 20 years ago, my dad wasn't taking me to an esports an esports event, right? It just wasn't what he was into. Didn't even know it didn't really exist. Actually, not 20, 30 years ago, didn't really exist. Yeah, video games were out there, but didn't exist. Now I've got a five month old at home, and I guarantee you, in a couple of years, you know, I'm going to be handing him my phone. There's going to be games on there. There's going to be entertainment. It's going to be part of his every day. And at some point, he's going to say, "Dad, I want to go check out this team." And there's going to be the ability for me to go to a venue and take him to a match. So it's all kind of coming full circle and it's new content. It's a new, it's a new industry. And from an AEG standpoint, we're going to capitalize on it because we have the, the, the best in class venues globally to be able to host some of this amazing content. 
And an interesting uh, point or, or a question that I've made sure to ask, most of the, the senior people, say team owners like Ann Matthews, the co-founder of Fnatic, um, having on people like David Parker, the co-founder of Beyond the Summit, who runs their own tournaments and has been a commentator at the top leagues for many, many years, and, and even FaZe Clan's chief revenue officer, always asking the same question, which is how the, the maturity of these non-endemic and mainstream companies coming into the space, has it been slower? Than, than you originally forecasted? Has it been faster? What's the performance been like? Talking to a lot of these people, they're saying that, um, you know, a lot of the time it's a six to 12 month education process to get to a no. And then as a startup, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty hard sales cycle and a hard pill to swallow. And it's, I, I chuckle because, you know, being on the sales side, you know, I'd rather hear a, a quick no. I'd rather hear a yes. That's what I want to hear is a quick yes. But but a prolonged no over the course of uh, over the course of six to 12 months uh, can be. Can we, be have a joke in, we have a joke in our office. We've got some pieces of paper and printed on it in big words. Uh, just checking in multiple times because that's that seems to be what. That's what seems to be what the esports life is a lot of the time, just yeah. searching for answers. And like you said, searching for that no. I'd rather get the no, move on and go somewhere else yeah. than wait around forever. So the, the the quick answer is, you know, we'll reach out to a company because a marketer needs to know what's on trend. So the second we reach out and say, you know, we have an esports portfolio, we get an immediate hand raiser, somebody who's willing to engage in what we're about. When we go to them and we present uh, a Mortals Gaming Club, you know, we talk about the different leagues, the model. It's not that it doesn't make sense. They always figure out how do I enter because they're so used to watching NBA or hockey or NFL or baseball where, you know, whether you have branding on the uniform, like you have the patches now with uh, with with baseball or you have commercial inventory during commercial breaks. Right. It's it becomes a media buy. You know, they're looking at esports going, oh, how do I activate on site? Well, it's not really an on site play in every regard because, you know, people are able to stream and, and, uh, you know, the Twitch channel. So there is a broadcast element through that. But some of the traditional blocking and tackling for sponsorship, they're trying to figure out. So to that point, people will entertain and engage a conversation. But to your point, six to 12 months, we seem to get a prolonged no. You know, you'll, you'll have the dialogue, there'll be a hand raise, there'll be interest, we'll put a presentation, a deck in front of them, some amazing ideas and ways to integrate with the teams, integrate with the players, content opportunities, and then it just kind of turns into, okay, we got it, we just need to vet it because our CEO keeps hearing about this thing. So that, mm. that was probably two years ago, you know, Ori and I went out on the road and probably met with almost every brand you could possibly imagine. And, you know, the door was not shut, but it was like, Hey, listen, we appreciate this. It's interesting. We don't know how to enter the space quite yet. And I'm still hearing that today. The yeah. difference is, and what's a benefit to our relationship with the mortals gaming club is AEG has, we have 350 assets in our portfolio. You know, whether it's venues, sports teams, music festivals, properties, et cetera, we probably have a thousand brand partners across all of our, all of our properties. So we have a roster of businesses that we intimately work with people who have been with us for five, 10, 15, 20 years from the day we opened our doors. So we can call on these brands, whether it's Toyota or an Anheuser-Busch or an American Express or a Microsoft and say, Hey, you know what? We identified something that we think would help your business, right? We're doing all all this wonderful stuff in music, all this wonderful stuff in sports, all this wonderful stuff in our venues. You know, esports is a new frontier. Let us show you a way that you can enter with us, extend the partnership relationship that we have. There has been trust and credibility that has been built throughout the decades. So we're going to put something in front of you that's going to make sense for your business. So 
Case in point, you know, we went to Microsoft. We created a whole girls and gaming platform. A big thing with Immortals is also a value system, right? I mean, we monitor our message boards. We monitor our online forums. You know, we want to make sure that there's no disparaging you know, things being said. There's no misogyny. I mean, that is a, a value of our company, right? It's, it's accountability. It's transparency. So that being said, you know, we went to Microsoft and said there's an underserved community within esports, whether it's, you know, girls in gaming, whether it's LBGTQ, you know, whether it's family, we want to be able to provide something for all these different audiences. So, you know, we went to them and said, we want to create a girls in gaming summit. There's the Microsoft lounge over here in Culver city. And we were able to really create an event, you know, for females by females, female executives. And that was an impetus to just be able to create content and it's dialogue for the industry that has been underserved. So Microsoft was all in on that. They bought it on that. They don't have a problem with awareness, but what they have a problem with was brand love, right? You look at Apple, you look at your iPhone, you know, you watch an Apple commercial. There's certain, there's a certain cachet with that brand that they have from an audience and a, and a user standpoint. Microsoft products are amazing. I just don't think they have that same type of emotional appeal at that real heartstring, if you will. So they wanted to create something that really mattered to, to their, to their audience. And that's why we got in, in business with them. To the point though, is AEG had a major relationship with Microsoft. They, are, you know, they have the naming entitlement rights to the theater here on the LA Life campus with Microsoft Theater. Our 40,000 square foot plaza, which is our Times Square, if you will, of Los Angeles, is called Xbox Plaza. You know, we do a significant amount of business with them through, you know, software, laptops, whatever it may be. So we have a good relationship with them. You know, we know their entertainment marketing team. They're always looking to identify new things. You know, Xbox, as you know, I mean, they're, they're big into gaming as it is. So it wasn't a crazy stretch but at the same time was there was a relationship built we were able to go to our brand partner and say hey we want to introduce you to our team at immortals let's create something that matters to you so that's exactly what we did right so across our portfolio we mentioned hershey a little bit a while ago with, with kitkat um you know we inked a tinder deal with our music festivals um you know not too long ago but through that conversation it was no we are launching our our app in brazil what do you have in that marketplace great well mibr our counter-strike team is they're the big dog on the block down in brazil let's do something with them you know we'll do you know some traditional assets so to your point you know it's easy to see traditional assets so we put you know a logo on the jersey they wanted to do something where if you signed up for tinder gold or tinder plus or whatever maybe you had access into this vip party so there were different levers that we that we could pull with them that they cared about right um we got involved with uh i mean what are some other ones you know um you know we did something with uh, a brand partner that we have here internally called Nitto Tire. They're a tire company based out of Orange County. Um, I actually, I think, believe they're a South Korean company. But with them, you know, if you look at if you look at Overwatch League, one of the maps is Junkertown, right? How do we create some sort of an in real life experience with Junkertown and create an engagement factor? for a brand that really had no impetus of understanding what esports was. So we could go to them and create that authenticity that the brand cared about. And in doing so, we were able to create some of the highest engagement rates of the content that we put out there for Nitto Tire that they've ever seen in their entire lives. Because number one, we're speaking to a new audience, an audience that they cared about, and there was this authentic ability to put the brand in, in, in an in-real-life in in moment for people to care about. So it's 
they're not endemics, right? They're not endemics, as we talked about at the top of the call, but they are brands that people do care about. And if you can find that right way to involve them into something that's contextually relevant, that's where a partnership becomes a partnership. And it doesn't become just, you know, a brand beating somebody over the head saying, you know, we're a brand, look at me, right? So, you know, we announced, uh, I think it was today, a relationship with Toyota. They're going to be involved with our Immortals, our Immortals League of Legends team. So we're we're very, very excited about that. And uh, same thing, right? How do we create content that people are going to care about? So that is to be determined. Um, you know, the deal team with Immortals, uh, who's led by uh, Royce Wilson, you know, that's something that he's in partnership with, uh, with, with uh, those guys and going to be working very closely. But conversely, you know, AEG has a massive relationship with Toyota, whether they have an on-site opportunity here at LA Live with auto displays, whether they buy out-of-home media with us on our screens, whether they're activating inside uh, Staples Center or they're doing something with the LA Kings or they do something at Stagecoach, our music festival, or they do something with the LA Galaxy and the StubHub Center. We've got all this different all these different properties and they can come in with one fell sweep, ink one deal, sign nine properties and say, you know what? This is the portfolio play we want to do. So as we bring in new assets, we introduce them to our partners. So that's where the yin and the yang works extremely well with our friends at uh, at Immortals. We can go to them. They can pick up the phone at any time, and they can say, hey, you know, we're looking to talk to a brand. Who do you know there? And chances are one of the sellers or activation reps on our global partnership team has that that conduit and that in with one of these uh, with one of these brands. So and vice versa, if Immortals is working on selling a partnership and they know that uh, you know because there's a direct correlation as you're seeing now with music and esports, the fandom is starting to really intersect, and the music in these games is you know Marshmallow and all these other uh, all these other entertainers, right? We have these people coming to our to our events, right? We have these people who are not only fans of of our properties, they're fans of gaming. Right. So if Immortals identifies a brand that really cares about music and is like, can we couple an Immortals partnership with a Coachella partnership? The ability exists for our teams at Immortals to sell those types of deals. So it really is this great symbiotic relationship and we've had a lot of success with it. But back to the original point, there was a lot of hand raisers, a lot of hand raisers to say, Hey, I want to talk about esports. I want to understand esports. I need an education in esports. My CEO and my chief marketing officer is asking me to really understand this. And we will, you know, dance down the line for a while before we get that no. So, but the job of a seller, you know, we need to know when to say, Hey, you know, if this is not of interest, not a problem, we're going to go with, you know, talk to your competitor, which we're going to happily do anyway. But the point I'm making is, Everybody's at a different po- point with the life cycle of the brand. Now, this is, again, we're very long on the, the eSports space. Um, there's ability from a content standpoint that we, we feel is amazing and the engagement value that we talked about with uh, you know, the various specific theme, or, um, you know, Twitter and Facebook and different handles for Instagram for the particular um, for the particular team that we can affect, uh, you know, and create much more engagement. The other thing for us is, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, we're moving, you know, we're growing. Immortals is growing. We're moving our group into a new headquarters over in uh, uh, 
Playa Vista, Marina del Rey, if you will. And as part of that, you know, we're taking over 16,000 square feet. We're going to move in later this summer, but it's a blank canvas. So, you know, our deal teams now are looking to say, okay, you know, how do we activate our brand partners within this new space? And I know we saw the other day that, um, what was it, uh, Nadshot created uh, some content for uh, for a brand because, you know, they did a campus naming rights deal with their training facility. We're going to look to do the same thing. So we're out there in the marketplace now. And what will happen is, you know, every other Wednesday here at AEG, our global partnership team gets together and I'll present, hey, this is the new status of what's going on with the Mortals Gaming Club. And we're going to be moving our team into a new corporate campus. We're looking for a, uh, an entitlement partner of the whole thing. So every time we refer to content creation that we're going to be doing here at the at the training center, it can be literally owned by XYZ brand, right? And then within that construct, you know, no different than you look at one of our stadiums, right? Staples Center, the naming rights of Staples Center. And then you go to the Delta Suite Lounge. All right, well, maybe one of the wings of this venue the new headquarters can be the Delta, the Delta gameplay lounge or whatever it may be, right? And then how do we create content where our players who are going to be traveling the globe to participate in all these different events can create content through Delta in their red carpet lounges, earn Sky Miles, and then fans can cash in Sky Miles to go do an experience with our Immortals team, right? So it becomes this much bigger platform that we get very jazzed about and excited that there's you know a lot of opportunity to, to work in and work with best and best and breed brand partners and help them identify new areas within within the entertainment landscape that's growing and provide that comfort level. Yeah, there's two there's two major lessons I want to pull out of there for anyone who's listening that, that you know you said one is keeping things keeping things as simple as possible. I think is extremely important when selling to these brands. A lot of the time, you know, it's been my personal experience and talking to a lot of others too. When a brand says, "Hey, we want to talk about esports. What should we do?" and then the esports person will say, "I don't know. You can do literally anything." And then the conversation just devolves into two hours of potential discussions. Nothing really gets done, and then nobody, no deals get signed. Everybody's time gets wasted because there's too many things that are discussed. And I think that leads into the second part of what you were saying is that a lot of esports people, because they don't have that traditional experience like you have, and the influencer managers as well, is they don't think of their, they don't think of what they have to sell as inventory. And they don't slice it up like what you were saying. It makes things a lot easier when, as a startup founder or an organization owner or an influencer manager, you don't go, which happens all the time, is I just need to make any sales. I'm just going to go sell whatever I can. It makes sense when you can slice it up like you were saying and say, okay, I've got a naming rights to sell. I have a, a left of jersey sponsorship to sell. And I have a specific League of Legends thing to sell. Then you can put some dollar values against that and then figure out how much you need to sell that for, go out and make that happen. And it makes your job much more clear and much more open. And I think those two things are what so many consultants, team owners, startup founders, et cetera, are missing in the industry. And it seems like such a basic premise when you talk about it, but I've been exactly that same situation. <laughs> I'm a startup. i got to go make some money. Let's just go sell whatever we can sell. But you're going to a company and they're like, I don't know what you're selling me. Are you selling me consultancy? Are you selling me sponsorship? Are you selling me influencers? I don't know. But if you can take the approach that you were talking about and have it very specifically laid out with dollar signs next to it all, not only can you value that better internally for your business, but also it just makes so much more sense for the brand that is potentially buying. 
Listen, totally agree. And as we all know, the marketplace is, I'm not going to say cluttered, but there's a lot of inventory out there, lots of different teams, and not just in esports, right? I mean, you asked me, you know, we compete against the beach here in Los Angeles, right? The weather's always nice. People are out of home, you know, so there's always something else going on. So how do you have that authentic conversation with a brand? How do you provide real tangible benefits? And to your point about inventory, you know, how no different, no different than you asked us, why do we get involved in these franchise leagues? Because we understood the inventory. We understood what we were getting involved with. It wasn't just this this blank space that, hey, we're going to you know, get into esports and had no idea where the structure was. There was structure. So when you go to these brands, the same thing. They need some guidance. They need some structure. Fortunately, we have a nice uh, brand partner list that we can go to. There's familiar conversation, which then or, the trust is already built in, which allows for that you know, that dialogue. And it's, listen, these partnerships are pieces of clay. We all want to put our hands in it and make it the best that we possibly can. You know, what happens with us here at AEG is we can overwhelm brands because we have so many things. So how do we start at one place? And the beauty of the 350 assets that we have is we can start at point one and we can grow you into, you know, 10 points. No different than I mentioned, Toyota is touching nine of our assets. The same thing with Immortals, right? We can go to a brand and say, hey, we're doing business here at Microsoft at LA Live. Now we've got something new we want to show you. And with that familiarity, we can know and create this Girls in Gaming Summit. And it was a huge win for us in building our relationship. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. And and like you were saying, it's something we've discussed a lot in my content before about the supply versus demand. There's so much there's so much supply um, in regards to esports teams. Everybody's looking for sponsorship. There's an unlimited amount of esports teams out there, but the demand has not been generated thus far from the brands actually looking to purchase. And like you said, the demand almost seems fake a lot of the times because every brand wants to talk about esports every investor wants to talk about esports i'm sure you can get a meeting with elon musk if you found his email and said hey <laughs> but the actual the actual demand from the brands is very low whereas you know for example why my company is working so much with influencers at the moment is because there is a long-standing existing demand in that space and equal amount of supply and it's it's obvious that you know you and, and aeg are really working on generating that demand which is not not something that you often have to do in most markets, right? Yeah. You, don't, you don't, you know, a traditional sports team, an NFL team looking for a major sponsorship doesn't usually sit there empty for a long time where you just go, damn, what kind of brand would be interested in this? Who could I sell to? You've already got that prospecting list that's been developed and likelihoods of success. No, we do. And, um, you know, to that point, you talk about influencers and content. And we know, listen, that is that is a part of every dialogue that we're having now with almost every brand. Can you hear me OK? Because I, I, you were cutting out on me. Yeah. OK. So, you know, so listen, we, we have a brand partnership with a company called Allergan. I don't know if you've ever heard of Allergan, but they make Botox. They make uh, they make aesthetic aesthetic drugs to, you know, enhance the way you enhance the way you look. You know, we've called on them for years. There really was never something in our portfolio that made a ton of sense for them. We created a content division, right? So as part of that, you know, we now have a studio, an internal studio that can go help companies create content and build around IP that the brand finds of interest. So, you know, Allergan's not showing up at Stagecoach and giving people Botox shots, but what they're doing is they're engaging our content team leveraging the IP of our assets like Stagecoach, our country music festival, and telling audiences, hey, refine the lines, perfect your look before you, you know, show up festival ready. So we're now able to create all this great content, go out and source an influencer through our talent division, you know, create something and then push it out through all these digital and social channels. And there's never has to be anything on site. So, you know, we suddenly look at that 
through that same lens and that same prism with esports, right? You have all these athletes who are digitally connected, who have fan bases, right? How do you create things that are compelling for their audiences that people care about? Case in point, you know, we do something with uh, Immortals. We've got uh, we've got a, a fun property we created called Gamer Snacks, and it's just an online content piece where a couple of our guys will get together, and they're very polar opposite. You know, one is Custa and one is another player. I'm blanking on his name, but they'll get together and they'll create something. They carry a Kit Kat brownies, and it's so tongue in cheek. And it might be a five to fifteen minute uh, content piece where they're creating some sort of food in the Immortals kitchen, but. You know, we have 20, 30,000 people that are subscribed to this channel and the completion rate's 98% because it's fun content. People care about it. It's hitting a demo who is engaged with this particular influencer fan base. So we agree. Influencer is, is a great way. It's not everything, but it's a part of our strategy and something that is very important to us in the community from a brand standpoint. What kind of brands do you want to see into the space? It's, it seems that it seems a lot of time when there's smoke, there's fire, right? So we saw, I think it was it was either Mercedes or BMW got in first, and then since then we've got pretty much every major automotive manufacturer over the over the past you know twelve to eighteen months are all into the space now. You know, from from Hyundai to, to Nissan yeah. to every. You know, obviously the obvious snack food brands that makes perfect sense. The endemic brands—they're always going to be there no matter what. But what, what brands are you tracking for the future? Yeah, that's a really good question, right? I mean, for us, we look at all the major categories, right? No different than we have here on campus at LA Live. We've got an auto partner, a spirits partner, a beer partner, a hospital partner, a wireless partner. You know, we're going to look at it and identify all the major categories, right? But then you look at it and say, you know, health and wellness for us is an important thing. You know, we were one of the first to really want to have equal player treatment for all of our for all of our athletes right we wanted to make sure that accommodation was made if you look at um, the lakers they have a massive relationship with ucla health right you look at um the golden state warriors they have a massive relationship with kaiser permanente right so these are professional athletes that being said yeah. we want to have a relationship with a hospital right? Or a healthcare provider. I think that is a place that we've identified that makes a ton of sense. So health and wellness, you know, these people are, you know, these athletes are sitting at their computers, they're playing these games, you know, is it eye health? Is it mental health? You know, what is it? Those are things that are important to, to us, right? So that's a space that we think is on the rise. You know, yeah. also, you know, you look at the NFL, they have a big partnership with, uh, with uh, Sleep Number, the mattress company, right? No different. If you have a great night's sleep, you're going to perform better. You're going to be sharper. Those are kinds of things. One of the trends that we're seeing now are these alternative meat and these alternative milk products, right? So you're seeing Beyond Meat or the Impossible Burger, or you're seeing um, oat milk that's taking a, take, that's flying or almond milk. You know, the brands now are, there's new brands and new entries to the market. So, you know, where it might be a carbonated beverage and, you know, we're going to work with the Coca-Colas and the Monsters and the Red Bulls, and those are awesome brands brands and you know those are almost endemic to the space but now you have these new entrants that are coming in so how do you reach out to them how do you create some sort of ability to partner with those types of uh types of businesses um you know what's big now too i mean we're seeing it everywhere are these streaming services right where everything from espn plus to quibi to uh disney plus to whatever it may be so you know the the broadcast paradigm is changing as well so are there avenues and outlets through our through our teams and our channels where we can help 
partner with one of those brands to you know either create content for it or is there ways to promote them from a commercial standpoint and you know we have a massive deal with netflix here on the other life campus you know we live in the the epicenter of entertainment so you have all these studios all these broadcast networks so you know netflix came in and said we're going to buy a founding partner position and you know they rotate their messaging on a rather frequent basis because they have new shows new programming coming out every week every day every month so you know it's basically an out-of-home media buy that services a 27 30 million people that are walking through the LLA, la live campus on an annual basis so same thing there are different trends in the marketplace that are spiking you know i mean i was watching the uh you know the super bowl amazon web services has uh you know has a whole analytics platform salesforce has a whole analytics platform microsoft and their cloud computing is a whole analytics platform so you know those trends are out in the marketplace right now as well so you know i no brand is off the table but it's about creating that that storyline as to why they're getting involved how can we enhance their business and how can they enhance our business in in an authentic way and it's really that through line that you can then take to the marketplace and say this is what we're doing with xyz brand this is why it makes sense and this is how it's going to better enable your experience if you're playing esports or whatever it is that uh, you're involved in yeah, I think a, another great piece of advice that that I'd like you to answer the question to to provide to people is how are you how are you pricing what you're doing currently? There's a lot of talk in the market about not not so much about valuations, but there's obviously some crazy valuations at esports market too. But as far as sponsorship goes, so let's say for example, you know, I've got a lot of tier one teams always asking me to help them to sell sponsorship at a commission only basis, like we talked about at the start, mm-hmm. um, which is not something that we traditionally do. Um, due to the effort that's required for the relatively low payoff. But generally, you get this sponsorship proposal through from them. It might say how many Twitter followers they have, what engagement, might say how much money they've won. But then there's a price at the end. And asking them to justify that price quite often comes back with the answer, well, that's the market price. And I ask them, well, what what's the market price based off? And they say... is <laughs> <laughs> what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's a couple different answers to that, right? So if we are pricing a deal... That includes several assets within the portfolio, whether we're adding in, you know, we did a, we have a major relationship with American Express, right? American Express touches a hundred plus properties within our, within our portfolio. Uh, they do a massive, uh, pre-sale with us. So when tickets go on sale to Staples Center, Amex customers have the ability, you know, 24, 40 hours before the pre-sale to have their own pre-sale for cardholders. So when we were renewing the deal and they were looking at other assets in our portfolio, you know, Immortals was something that was important for them because they wanted to get into esports they didn't really know how to enter esports they're going to be a branded partner within our new our new um our new headquarters campus and we're going to create content and some different experiences for card holders where they can do gaming and some different things with uh with the various teams that being said you know we we priced it just based on you know something that was fair as a complement to the overall program so we didn't have to go into these crazy metrics as to how many followers yeah we showed them the stats behind the teams and everything Everything else, but that was part of a, a larger encompassing deal where we were able to not create an allocation, be able to create a, a safe space to be able to to move some money into a budget that they feel comfortable with from an investment standpoint. So it really was a conversation with the client: is you know you've earmarked some dollars to participate in esports, you know. What are you thinking? And then for the, that dollar number, we will share with you an asset list that we think makes some sense. So that that was one thing. And that's something how we work quite often is because we're looking to package in Immortals with other brands. At the same note, a lot of these brands have earmarked a budget to say, hey, you know what? I've got a hundred grand. I've got a half a million dollars. I know I need to place something somewhere. What do I do here? So I think 
That being said, we tend to like to over-deliver from an asset standpoint. So, you know, we're adding a lot more things into a package to be able to provide, you know, a value. So when the buyer is looking at it and they're saying, you know, I have a half a million dollars, this is what I'm getting. There's a substantial amount of assets against the price where it's not just, you know, two or three little things, right? Yeah. So, you know, we announced Toyota today. They're going to be doing a significant amount of content for us. Um, the Southern California Dealers Association, there's going to be a lot of vehicle opportunities for us on campus, transporting fans, doing other things. They found value in that. At the same time, you know, we ask for the budget. You know, we don't want to guess. You know, we can price something at a million. We can price something at 10 grand. But I got to tell you, if I'm giving you something at 10 grand, it's not worth my time. It's not worth your brand time. So there has to be at least a baseline there where we know that there's going to be there's good there's going to be time spent on the property our our biggest fear is to have a lame duck partner where they spend some money they're not activating they're not involved you know you activate it for them you go back to the renewals and say hey we want to renew this deal and they say well we didn't find any value in it because we never participated in it so there's got to be that certain threshold we do have a valuation model, right, that we run internally here at AEG. Immortal says the same thing. We do have rate cards for certain assets. Um, we also are partnered up with a group called Wasserman Media Group. So when we go out to the marketplace and sell a naming right, so we sell a, a, a jersey patch sponsorship for the LA Galaxy or something at a festival, they can plug it into their media model and help us determine, you know, what are these impressions worth? And we can push out a value to, to, a, to our brand partner and say this is this is what we're hearing from a third party independent at least we'll give you a baseline if we're asking it for 300 grand for this partnership you can now take it to your agency or your however you want to value it and come back to us and see if we're how far off are we or actually pretty close to the uh, to the value there so i mean this is my own personal thing i price things to sell you know what i'm saying i want i want to bring you in we want to service you well we want you to have a comfort level and a great experience with our properties and our brands and feel like you know what there was value here i want to stick around the family for a long time because I know my business can be enhanced and my business can grow. So that, that's what it is. If you throw somebody a humongous number and they bite off on it and it's a, it's a dog, they'll never do business with you again. And they're also going to sour the marketplace for everybody else who's trying to pitch that particular brand. I see this all the time. I talk to so many brands where, oh, we did something with X, Y, and Z. We had a terrible experience and now we don't want to even, yeah, they'll talk to you just to, you know, just to be pleasant. But they're never going to do anything with you at the end of the day. So I like to, I want to avoid that confrontation, bring you in, give you a good experience. Not that I want to undervalue things, but I want to give you, I want to give you what's fair market value. Yeah. And that's, I mean, exactly what you said is the major concern from phase plans, chief revenue officer, Jeff Pabs, just about, yeah, people, brands not understanding what's involved to be involved in the space and not re-signing. And, you know, the people who are meant to be educating them fighting once again, like I was saying, for that deal and not for actually what's the purpose behind it. And, you know, I can understand why with some of these teams, some of these teams are losing a lot of money. They've got the capital behind them that they're trying to make back. Mm -hmm. and they're trying to get in the black and they say, well, I'm going to sell anything. And if this brand's worth, if this brand thinks that I'm worth this much, then I'm going to sell to them yeah. for that much. And I'm going to do it no matter what, you know, what the results are going to be. And I'm seeing a massive shift in that, you know, say, for example, we're working with a wagering client at the moment doing their 12-month uh, advertising plan, you know, mainly focused on digital media and, and mostly on influencers. And it's a very different conversation I'm having with most of these influencers. We reach out to them and say, hey, I'd like you to do this advertisement. What's your rate? And they give you a rate that's wildly different to the CPA you know that they can actually achieve for you. And you ask them, you know, have you sold this to other brands before? Yes. What was your delivery for those brands? I don't know. And that's <laughs> what happens a lot of these guys. And they will people with similar sized channels will have wildly different rates and, you know, different ideas of what platform is worth 
compared to another. I've got some influencers who will flat out refuse to post on Twitter and rather do 40 Instagram stories with swipe ups, which is fine with me because that yeah. delivers so much better for me. But even trying to put the onus on these influencers and managers some of the times has received a bit of kickback as well them saying look it's here's the price and if you want it go for it and my answer is similar to like what i was saying before when we were talking about a potential strategic partner is it's not me saying to them hey i'm going to use you at your price versus another influencer it's i'm going to use you versus i'm going to use facebook advertising or i'm going to use a local soccer team or i'm going to use google ads or something like that and i think that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand with esports like yes there is a premium because it's interesting it's an engaged audience it's hyped but what can you sell that's better than any other medium? What's what's better than a Netflix placement in, you know, a show like Game of Thrones or something like that, a HBO placement in Game of Thrones, which is equally watched by as many 18 to 24-year-olds as, as esports. And people, I think, in esports get that darling idea that we're in this amazing, exciting new thing, but we're still competing against the NFL. We're still competing against Netflix. We're competing against Fortnite. We're competing against the beach, like you said, in LA and, and in Australia as well, obviously. So, you know, there is a, a certain premium, but I think that premium is starting to slip now when teams are no longer, you know, raising capital at a 22x valuation yeah. or yeah. charging, you know, $5 million campaigns when they should really be 300000 for, yeah. you know, a basic jersey and one tweet per month on their 200000 fan Twitter. Yeah, listen, the market, the market will settle all this, right? If people are overpaying and they're not getting the results, they're going to pull back and the market's going to stabilize itself from a pricing standpoint. So it, it just has a natural tendency to do it. I think the big thing for all your viewers, if anybody is in a sales capacity, it's really building a relationship with a brand and adding value. It's not just, you know, you, know, you give somebody this much, but you deliver they deliver this much, you know, they're going to trust you and say, you know what, that's an organization that I want to work with. And I think that's why AEG and Immortals Gaming Club have had a lot of success is because, you know, listen, we're going to price ourselves the way we price ourselves, but people are going to get into our business and say, you know what, we like working with them because they said what they're going to do. They over deliver on what they're going to do. They have other assets that we can grow into with this group. And you know what? We can start taking money that they're spending on those other mediums and we can start repurposing it within our portfolio of, of brands. So we become that media extension that, yeah, we can compete against the beach because we've got beachfront real estate. We can compete against the Netflix. We can compete against the Hulus. We can compete against other teams because if you look at our portfolio, we're in literally every global market. We participate in almost every single type of sports. We are now in esports that is spanning the globe. You know, we've got music content that is spanning all different types of genres. So it's almost it's very hard pressed for people to look past our offering. The the thing is though, how do I digest it down to get somebody in the door to believe what we're saying, to trust the ability to give us that shot? But that's why we look at our brand roster. And listen, never gonna be with you hundred yeah. percent of the time, right? It's brands ebb and flow based on budgets, objectives, and sometimes they want to pivot and do something completely different but you know when somebody pivots one way out another brand is pivoting one way in and i've entertained different calls all the time with you know whether it's you know an, uh, a juice company who's saying you know we want to attract a, a certain type of a demographic to an auto to an airline to a new credit card that's coming online i'm drinking a coffee right here you know we've got something almost for everybody and i think that's what's the beauty of IGC and the beauty of AEG and why we work so well together is we've got this, we've got this great open relationship. Yes, we are an investor, we're a strategic investor, and we're a very active investor with them. And no different, you know, we involved 
immortals in, in our properties, right? So we look at our LA Galaxy, our soccer team. We look at the LA Kings. We'll create opportunities for Kings players and, um, and uh, you know, Counter-Strike players from MIBR to get together and play. No different than we'll do a video gaming night here at Staples Center, and we'll bring our teams from immortals out to Staples because we want to socialize and get them them front and center of the fan base that's attending Staples Center. Now, listen, not everybody, you know, people know who, you know, Chris Paul is. People know who Paul George is. People know who James Harden is, right? These are everyday people in the sports community. But if you start looking deeper as to who the athletes are participating on these teams, maybe the folks who are attending those games don't really know, but their kids do. And that's the one thing we talk about when we talk to brands. The brands that might not understand it from a brand standpoint, but if you go a layer down and you tell that brand manager to go speak to their child and ask them about this particular property, you will get an education. And that's what's happening, right? We'll go talk to certain brands where, you know, my kid is participating in this. I need to know more about it. I need to know why I need to be involved with it. And then as we go tell the AEG story and how Immortals is a compliment to what we do, it makes that conversation a lot easier. Not to mention I can host you at Staples Center. I can take you to the Grams. I can take you to Coachella and really build an amazing relationship with a brand property. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it I think it sounds good. And I think that's probably a good a good place to leave it. You're a busy right. man. Taking right. up a lot of time. Where where can people connect with you online, can see what you're doing and, um, and uh, you know, let me tell you, my best place is uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn with my, you know, George Pappas AEG. I'll give you my email address if anybody wants to shoot me anything. It's uh, first initial G. The last name is Pappas. It's three P's as in Paul. P A P P A S at aegworldwide.com. So G-P-A-P-P-A-S at A-E-G as an Anschutz Entertainment Group, worldwide.com. Fantastic. One one last question. Yeah. How do you remember the amount of assets that you guys have? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one time you messed up and then you got there in the end anyway. So I don't know, do you have to do an ex- internal exam to become a VP? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have a guy in my office who's got cue cards. And I'm just reading off, uh, reading off the cue cards. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. I've been here for five years. It's an amazing company. Um, you know, just... You're kind of the first maybe three years you figure it out. And then kind of in the year four, you're like, you know what? I think I know I know what we have. But we keep adding stuff. And it's uh, it's an exciting company. It keeps you on your toes. But, uh, you know, I love, I love the company. I love talking about it. And, uh, you know, if anybody has any questions or you want to, you know, follow up with anything, you know, hit me anytime. Uh, I'm always around. I'm usually up to at all hours of the night because of my little guy. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sure. been a real pleasure, Chris. I'm glad we met. Whereas, man, I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch. And and it's it was very interesting to hear about AEG and, and the slow burn, you know, A, having so many of those assets involved, but B, kind of being in for that slow burn and, and through the through the peaks and the troughs of, you know, what you guys have coming up in esports. And I'm really interested to track as we go to home and away games for Overwatch and to the Call of Duty League, whether, you know, the commercialization and the, and the money coming in is going to offset this extra investment that's, you know, required from you guys. So I'm sure I'll have you on again in, you know, six to 10 months time to, to see how the performance is going. Sounds terrific. And I think by that time, we'll probably have another 20 assets that I have to remember what we do there. So <laughs> good luck. So thanks for coming on. And, and thanks for everybody for listening in, whether you're tuning in live at the moment on Twitch TV, on LinkedIn Live, or listening to this as a podcast only recording. We've got a bunch more guests coming. Thankfully, we've been inundated with requests from very high quality guests over the next two weeks. So we'll be doing about three LinkedIn Lives per week for the next three weeks or so. So hopefully we'll see you guys then. Thanks. Bye Chris, this was, this was awesome. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great day thanks for tuning into our podcast today for show notes relevant links and upcoming projects you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at big esports underscore gg 